Have you ever thought about how our world is being shaped? Where are we headed and what might we leave behind? You're listening to Nextcasts, presented by Swissnext San Francisco, where we examine the forces shaping our emergent future through conversations with scientists, entrepreneurs, artists, and designers. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Nextcasts. Have you ever thought about what it takes to build a house in our digital age? Or have you ever thought about who it takes to build a house today? This episode is all about new technologies and how that's influencing our built environment. I interviewed the architect behind our current exhibition in the Swissnext Gallery, Matthias Kohler from ETH Zurich, and Chris Lubkeman from Arup, which is an independent firm of designers and urban planners that work across every aspect of today's built environment. And as well, I'm joined by Amina Reisigner, our head of partnerships at Swissnext San Francisco. Here's our conversation. Thanks for joining us, Matthias, Chris and Amina. Um, Matthias, could you start by explaining what you do? Well, well, thank you for having us and... Uh having the opportunity to be on the on the podcast. Well, my name is Matthias Kohler. I'm an architect. Uh, and besides my work in the office, uh, which I have with Fabio Gramazio, my, my office partner, uh, we also actually do research at ETH Zurich in the Gramazio Kohler Research Group. Our topic is architecture and digital fabrication. Basically, how do we transform the way that we design and build by the use of new fabrication technologies? And Chris, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Chris Lubkeman. I'm an Arab Fellow and Director for Global Foresight Research and Innovation. I'm Essentially, my role is to help make sure that we're still in business 20 years from now. And so digital fabrication is changing the way we see our practice, our projects, and the needs of our people around the world. And hi, Amina. Um, we work alongside each other each day. Could you explain your role at Swissnext? Hi, um, I'm Amina Reisinger, and I'm the head of partnerships here at Swissnext San Francisco. Essentially, my role is to design partnerships that allow us to build a diverse, open innovation community and also an active collaboration space. We work with Swiss corporates, startups, universities, as well as design and technology partners to co-create new models of collaboration in our space at Pier 17. Great. So we're here at South by Southwest, which is a multi-genre film and music festival. And there's also a, com- a conference aspect which covers topics such as technology, innovation, branding and new ideas. Now, the three of you have just come off a panel presented by Swissnext. Um, Amina, could you tell us a little bit more about the panel? Sure. So one of the ways we look into the future and approach foresight is through experimentation and building community. One of the projects Chris and I have had the pleasure to work on for the past couple of years is a workshop series on the future of work, where we bring together Swiss and local thinkers and doers and dive deep into the different aspects of work. And so with the DFAP House project and our current exhibition, we had the opportunity to expand on this aspect of the research and explore how how digital fabrication and evolving architecture affect the future of how work will be done in these industries. And so we thought it would be a great opportunity to bring our local and Swiss partners together and have an open discussion here at South by Southwest. 
So Matthias, could you start by explaining what the role is of new technologies in architecture today? Yeah, I think today we're at an exciting moment uh, in the history of architecture because these new technologies are really entering the domain, not only of architecture, that's been the case with CAD and BIM already for a while, but also, you know, uh, with the making of architecture, with the building. And, you know, always when architecture transformed uh, through its building materials, for example, when new building materials were invented, uh, architecture fundamentally transformed and so now we're at the point where the digital starts to enter basically all materials so we we call this the a digital materiality that starts to uh, be kind of invented or or becomes present and uh, that's very exciting and so now with the DFAB house we had the chance to actually build the first fully inhabitable house that features multiple of these new technologies uh, in, in one uh, house. So one aspect of this program that is really interesting to us as an organization is that you've brought together people from different disciplines to build this house. Um, can you tell us a bit about the people and their backgrounds that were involved in this project? Yes, it was very important for the DFAB House to bring together different uh, disciplines. So we have architects, obviously, we have structural engineers, obviously, but then we also have roboticists, uh, we have material scientists on the team, we have people from uh, sustainability uh, with, with special expertise. And so these, let's say, different professorships that were engaged, they all kind of worked collaboratively on an architectural project and that's that's a really uh, new approach of course with the number of let's say professorships there are about 50 phds uh, planners architects that have been involved al already on the research side uh, on behalf of the so-called national center of competence of digital fabrication uh, of which dth is the home institution um, so this was really a, a massive collaborative engagement Yes, the DFAB House has been supported heavily uh, by the Swiss National Science Foundation. So basically it was developed as a demonstrator of the first four years of research that come out of the so-called National Center of Competence in Digital Fabrication in Switzerland. And um, so therefore for us it was very important to not only research on the topic of digital fabrication but really take that research out of the lab and bring it to a real building site, demonstrate it in architecture which can be lived in, which can be discussed, which can basically serve as a basis for a societal uh, uh, kind of development. And Chris, I'd love to get your thoughts on this project. What I think is really fantastic about the DFAB house is it really makes the desire to bring the potential for complexity and digital fabrication into reality so that contractors, material suppliers, architects, engineers can go and touch it, can see it, can walk through it and go, huh, it's not just on a computer screen. This is real and this is possible. And that to me has been one of the magical bits working with EMPA and you know, bringing this all together. So, and we see this in different parts of the world, the importance of demonstrating to our pretty conservative industry which is which is okay because if things fail, people die. So it's okay to be a bit conservative, but to actually demonstrate that these this this digital fabrication is a new potential, a new method, which as you've already said, Matthias, will revolutionize and should revolutionize 
the way we both conceive, design, and construct slash fabricate our built environment. And that excites me. I think, that, and this is, again, we see this all around the world. And so as we move into the post-Anthropocene, which is where we're heading to, we hope to, which is the world we're desiring, which in which the planet is healthy and humans are healthy and having a, a great place on the planet, the efficiency and the optimization which digital fabrication can bring should lead the way because we can now have new performance characteristics, new optimization methods which we could not have 5, 10, 20 years ago. And that for me is super exciting when we look from a global standpoint at the housing need that we have globally, at the infrastructure need that we have globally. These methods are going to have to come into normal practice so that what you're doing is truly leading the way to resetting normal which is super exciting. Okay, so you mentioned that we're hopefully heading towards this post-Anthropocene and we're trying to reset the normal. Um, can you explain that a little bit further? We are the first generation to actually be aware of the collective accumulative impacts of Homo sapiens on our planet. Our grandparents, our great-grandparents really didn't know that a lot of what they were doing was damaging the very ecosystems which we require to thrive on the planet. And so this is called the Anthropocene in the sense of it's an epoch in which humans have been the primary driving force for the natural environment. And in order for us to thrive as a species, we need to move past this time in which humans are the main driver in allowing if you will, the geomorphological, the global eco ecological systems to take back their control rather than our control of them. And the potential for this is vast as we understand more and more about the science behind these systems with the planetary boundaries. So science is telling us how much water we can use in our building materials, how much carbon we can use as a society, we can then bring this as optimization characteristics into digital fabrication. Because we, for the first time, can also begin to track this, the, the primary, secondary, tertiary impacts. And even to the point where every building needs to be looked upon like a bank account, like a building material bank account for the future. Because we're recognizing that we're running out of building materials. And this is why this digital fabrication is so critical we're running out of building sand. And there are some countries who have literally run out of sand. So they have to import it from thousands of miles away. So what do we do? So we need to optimize. We need to get clever and innovate. And this is where this digital fabrication process becomes critical for us. Yeah, so maybe, maybe Chris, I mean, as, as you mentioned, it's, I think, what we see is that basically a certain attitude towards ecology starts to become the baseline of these new digital processes. Yeah. And I think in the DFAB house also, which we were able to exemplify, for example, with three different building techniques that use concrete, the most you know um, used construction material on earth with yeah. a lot of pollutants pollutive effects, yeah. um, how we could actually improve the use of that very material. So for example, we could build without formwork, 
which already saves a lot of material, then you can optimize these forms to take uh, optimally structural loads. So yes, maybe they're not straight walls anymore. Maybe they start to curve, you know, because curved wall can can more take stable. or yeah. more stable yeah. can can take other uh, uh, other other forces. You can combine functionalities, uh, and you can save weights. Like for example, with the ceiling that only uses a third of the concrete than a normal concrete ceiling, and so I think this accumulation of changes mm. which are transported through the digital really shape kind of a new society and new understanding of how we work with these very precious resources at hand and the digital gives us the the control over these resources but i think beyond control we we need a new attitude yes. and we need a lot of skills yeah. we need we need uh, basically digital literacy uh, as architects, as engineers, uh, to, to really start uh, making most of out of these technologies. Yes, and even contractors and subcontractors. So Absolutely. So it's not just the architect and engineer, but it's the entire ecosystem is needs and is upping its game in this new fourth industrial revolution, which is super exciting. And I, and I agree with you 100%, Matthias, on this idea of optimizing on new factors, and where sustainability, and I would even say regenerative design, becomes a baseline. So that net zero design becomes, well, of course you do net zero. How could you not? Because anything that's less than net zero, meaning zero carbon, zero water, is killing the planet. So therefore, everything has to be regenerative. And now the beauty of it, it all is that then actually the forms that come out of this, you know, and the expressions of this, it doesn't result in a neutral architecture. It doesn't result just in a more optimized uh, form, which could also uh, look very, let's say, monotonous and repetitive. Mm. No, it actually starts to express itself. Mm. And the architects of the future need to find ways on how to work on that expressivity. And so suddenly we get a building culture which shapes our environments in new ways and and is really enriching uh, to our um, to our lives. And as one of my colleagues likes to say, it's bringing complexity back into design, back into engineering. Instead of trying to keep everything as simple as possible, we can now allow things to be complex because we can build them, or we can construct them, or we can fabricate them in different ways, which is exactly that, a new language, almost a, a, a new a rebirth of the Art Nouveau where we're, we're really looking at nature again and everything that she brings to us. And interestingly enough, today we can actually build more than we can design. So with these technologies, we can build so many forms, so many shapes, so many expressions uh, that in the future, the big question will, s will be how can we intelligently and with a high degree of sensibility design with these new technologies. And that's a very exciting prospect for future architects, designers, but also the entire engineers and, and the industry. Totally, totally agree. And Amina, did you have a question for Chris and Matthias? 
I wanted to, I'm very curious because at, at Swissnext we often, um, no matter what the topic, we deal a lot with this um, uh, connection between the government sector and policy and then the innovation or tech, tech sector. Um, and we've noticed quite a bit that sometimes uh, what's actually lacking is that, 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 that literacy and also that communication between the, the, the innovators and the, the regulators. Um, I would love to know your opinion stepping out of the context of architectures, uh, architects, engineers, etc. What, what, what else actually needs to be completely rethought in order to, to make these uh, new technologies possible? I mean, you mentioned, Chris, in the panel that we're now designing still to 1960s code, and that's a problem, right? So when we think of some of the parameters to which we are designing, two things come to mind. On one hand, we're designing to weather patterns, to building codes, which really are reflective, not anticipatory. They look backwards rather than looking forwards. Our climate is changing, so therefore we should be designing for a changed weather. Our glaciers are melting, so therefore we will run out of water within 100 years. So we should really be designing into this with our building codes rather than looking backwards as if everything was still in the 1950s, 60s, or 70s. That's one. The second parameter is the way in which our uh, system is set up from a contractual standpoint and where the risk is being carried. So very often it's the developer who carries a risk that in, or the owner is looking at minimizing his or her, minimizing his or her risk contractually. So in, instead of looking at the opportunities which creative contracting can play to allow all of the players to do their best, you have contracts which encourage all the players to make the most conservative, minimal risk design. And so I think these are two things. One's regulatory and the other's contractual that we need to be really looking at um, revamp. One of the surprising moments at the World Economic Forum in Davos this year was when industry giants, if you will, were reflecting upon the fact that climate change has been, almost think for the third year running, recognized as the greatest risk to the global economic system. And that they were wondering when a carbon tax was going to be implemented which would allow them to internalize the implicit risk which climate change is. So if we had a carbon tax which was meaningful, that would then mean that we begin the process of internalizing the actual cost of the production, transportation of our social stuff so that the pricing signals would allow then real innovation to take, take hold. Okay, so to finish off our conversation, I'd like to get all your thoughts on what the world will look like in 50 years. So when I look at the future, uh, my emotional and intellectual state varies quite significantly from being super excited about the future and then super scared. And the amplitude of that varies week on week. The super excited part is when, when I interact with our 20-year-olds and our designers who are looking at these challenges as opportunities to bring their skills to bear. And 
innovation which will blossom because humans are incredibly adaptive and innovative when they put their minds to it, when we put our minds to it. It's not they, it's we. The part when I'm a bit on the negative side is when I look at the enormity of the challenges which we're facing. I wonder how we're going to galvanize entire societies to reduce their impact on the planet in time. You know, we can already see our carbon load on the planet is a bit too much. Our ice caps are melting. Sea levels will rise. And yet, we're not seeing the action which we really, really need and the commitment by companies and individuals to reflect that urgency. And so I think when I look to 2070, part of it's wonderful and part of it's very scary. Well, if I look at 2070, I see a world that's largely urbanized, but that conserves many beautiful places and also where the urbanized parts of the, of the world are actually much more varied, much more thriving in a way that leads away from, um, you know, the monotonous, repetitive, uh, you know, gridded, environments that we currently know. Um, I think I see a prospect of the digital um, becoming not only something to which we have to respond because it entered our lives and uh, it has transformed many of our lives, but that we can actually proactively take up and create a new world with. That sounds maybe a bit idealistic, but I really believe that. Um, and so I think our built environment will start to profit from that. I think uh, our planet, uh, as you mentioned, Chris, uh, will start to profit from that. Um, and I think we need to trust this uh, new generation that there is going to be something like a new ethics uh, and sensibility which develops. Of course, this is not going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of resistance. There's going to be uh, a lot of resistance to change, uh, particularly. Um, but um, as mentioned before, there's also a lot of urgency. So I believe uh, these steps will be taken. And from the side of architecture, I really look forward to get over the age of industrialization. I totally agree with all of that, Matthias. And I think when I when I think on, on the good days, when I think of 2070. I think of a of our cities and our places being regenerative, where every building, every neighborhood is creating more water, hosting more water, creating more energy than they ever need. It's very integrated, and that the things are very systemically integrated. By we're using energy in one place and using it and saving it in another, so it's really looked at as a organic system. And that's very responsive, responsive to not just the individual's needs, but the social needs, mm -hmm. that we've moved beyond the age of I, 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 me, 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 to we, 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 we. And the individual is really integrated into that collective we. I also think we'll have a completely, fully electrified autonomous mobility on demand. I do believe that. This will come in time, which uh, is, as we move and move and move to a decarbonized energy grid. We're seeing this already now. So within 50 years, we will be decarbonized. If not, then we will not really be on the planet. And I think the big market is going to be building retrofit. Because in 50 years from now, 
most of the buildings that we will require as a society will have been built. This is sort of, we look at the, the numbers, that's where it will be. And so the opportunity for us to understand how to reuse our infrastructure is going to be phenomenal, super exciting, and a whole new direction for architecture to understand how to reuse what's there in a way that um, I'd say societies who are older already are doing. And Matthias, is there something else you wanted to add? You know, in our research uh, with the DFAP House, it was very important to show what is the state of techniques that we have and to bring this, you know, really this forefront of research to a real architectural demonstration. But on the other hand, we also do what I would call almost fundamental research in architecture. We do quite radical projects, like for example, building with drones or other projects, shooting clay. Um, and one of the venues that we pursue there is actually uh, fully reversible building typologies. So where you actually take material, like we built a one pavilion that is just built out of gravel and string. So you take very basic materials, you build them up to something socially, architecturally usable, and afterwards you build it back by, in this case, just pulling out the string of the gravel, and in the end you have, again, a spool of spring and a pile of gravel, uh, fully turning the building back into what it originally was as a, on its material base. Now, this is not yet possible for entire, you know, big buildings or cities, but I think conceptually we need to go there and we need to start somewhere uh, to actually come to, a, to retrofit on the, on the one hand side, but also to concepts where we can really take things back fully as we, as we brought them in. I think that's really cool. And we need more of that. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you all about the future and what our built environment might look like with all these new technologies being developed around us. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is the Swiss Next podcast called Nextcasts, and we'll be back soon with our next episode.